Genesis chapter 37, verse number 23. The word of God says, so it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. The Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph out and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Genesis 39 verse 1 says, Now when Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there, but the Lord was with Joseph. Genesis 39 verse 19. So it was when the master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. And I love this, but the Lord was with him. Genesis 41 verse 14 says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch, or in, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Genesis 42, verse 6. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. From the pit, he was connected to Potiphar. From Potiphar, he was connected to the prison. From prison, he got connected to the palace. These are what we call vision steps. Vision steps. What I want to talk to you about today is the fifth of nine vision steps that we've been kind of going through. And this one is called positioning. And so I've entitled this message, Even When You Can't See Him, He's Working. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your grace and power to every single person. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. From the pit to Potiphar's house to prison to the palace it's almost melodic, but its reason is miraculous. What I love about the story is how it begins by telling us that the Midianites took Joseph to Egypt. And when you, when you hear that word took, it has a, a hostile ring to it. The implication is that he was taken against his will. And from Joseph's perspective, indeed, this is what was happening. He was being forced to do something that he didn't want to do. But what I love about this word took is that in the original language, it doesn't mean hostility. It actually defines help. It can mean a lot of different things. For instance, the word took can mean to be led or to be carried or to cause or to be brought to or introduced or brought near, all of which emphasize not hostility, but rather help. If you think about it this way, if, if I was taken to an affair as somebody's guest, I wasn't necessarily being brought against my will, but rather I was having access to the affair because they invited me. And so it was a very good thing. And many times uh, when, we, when we use the word 
took, it can mean two different things. And so from Joseph's point of view, it was hostility. From heaven's point of view, it was help. Very real way, Joseph was not being taken to Egypt, but he was being connected to Egypt. He, he was on a path, and he was traveling this particular path to get to a palace, and he didn't know it yet. And there were four stops along the path that he took. He took the stop in the pit. He took the stop at Potiphar's house. He took the stop in prison. And ultimately, he took the stop at the palace. And as he was going from place to place, although he didn't know it, God was working even though he couldn't see him. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And even in prison where he looked confined, it really wasn't confinement. He was being confined against his will, he thought. But really it was connection to see the will of God come to pass in his life. And that's what I really want to focus on today. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let me slow down and bring you up to speed. Because, you know, most people only come to church 1.7 times a month. So most, most people are probably lost as to where we are right now. So I'm going to slow down. We're in a series called Mojo right now. And, and we're talking about how to get our spiritual stride back. And what that means is simply this, that, that God wants us to live life optimally. God wants us to, to, to live life firing on all cylinders. And for us as Christians, that means body, soul, and spirit. God, God has redeemed all of that, not just part of us, but all of us. And so we read through scripture, for instance, in, in 3 John, the third epistle of John, the beloved, he prays this prayer. He said, beloved, I pray above all things that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. And just as a reminder, in the middle of what's going around, God wants us to walk in divine health. And we need to be reminded of these things because sometimes it's not because God doesn't want it, but because we're not aware of it that we don't walk in it. Amen? The scripture says that my people perish for a lack of knowledge. In other words, we are not aware of what belongs to us in Christ. And on the cross... Remember what the scripture says. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, and what? Healeth all. See, some of you didn't even know that. And healeth all my diseases, right? This is part of our redemptive right. And so when we talk about mojo, we talk about walking optimally, body, soul, and spirit. And did you know there is a connection between all of those things? Did you know that when your your body is not right, your mind is not right? Has anybody ever noticed that before? See, some of you skinny people don't know about us fat people problems. Right? You've been skinny all your life. You don't know what it's like to like get dressed up. Oh, that don't fit. And then you try something else. Oh, that don't fit. And you know, you, you give yourself like you got 15 minute window to get dressed, but it takes you like 30 minutes to get dressed because you try on a take off. And then your closet looks like something hit it. You know, there's a tornado all over the place. Any of you fat people know what I'm talking about? Come on. That's... Anyway. <laughs> and so when our, when our body's not right, we know that our mind is like, and then we get depressed and we don't feel right and so on and so forth. And when you eat right, you feel right. And when you, when you feel right, you, you, you know, you're, you're better in your mind. You're sharper. You're, you're more on top of things. And when your body and your spirit, and when your body and your soul or your mind are working right, your spirit can soar. And so there is this connection between all those things. So when we talk about mojo, we're talking about what 3 John 2 prays. We're also talking about what the apostle Paul prayed in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Remember what he 
he said. He said, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what's interesting about these two verses that I just read? You know, I had prepared this, you know, a while ago this before Corona became a thing. But it's interesting how I thought to myself, God, why are you leading me to mention these verses again? And now I know why. Because God wants to remind us that he's got our bodies. I said, God wants to remind us. See, some of you can't even say amen because you're too stuck in fear. Don't be, don't be led by fear. Live in faith. God has got you, you know. I told somebody, I said, Pastor, why aren't you shaking hands? Are you afraid to get it? I said, no. If I shook your hand, I'd be helping you because you get healed. I said, I just, I just think it's cool. It's exercise, you know, like type of thing. God wants us to live life optimally body soul and spirit that is mojo and in our series we have come to the place where we are learning that in order to get our mojo back we have to live by a heavenly life map that's vision that's an inner picture that pulls us to fulfill the plan that god has for our life vision is so powerful that some people have defined it as a transporter where it transports things that are in the unseen realm into the seen realm. Where it transports our dreams that we can't see into our destiny that we experience. Where it transports what we conceive into what becomes a reality in our life. In order for us to see something, we first have to conceive it. If you can't see it, you won't be it in life. And one of the most profound uh, examples of a vision transporting or creating a new world, if you will, is the example of Disney World. Before Disney World was open, Mr. Disney had passed away. And so his wife was invited to come to the ceremony of the grand opening. The master of ceremonies called her up on the stage and said to her, in essence, I wish Walt could have been here to see this. And she said, he already has. An entire world was created because of the vision of a particular person. And I'm just wondering what world God wants to give you, what new world God wants to give you that begins and emerges by God putting in you a vision, a picture, a life map for what he has for you. Vision will transport your dreams to become part of your destiny. And so don't be afraid to dream. Don't be afraid. I used to preach a message called Let Your Imagination Run Wild, which is so counter-Christian, isn't it? I should say, so counter Christian culture. Because in Christian culture, when if you hear somebody let your imagination run wild, everybody thinks, oh, no, 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 no. I can't let my imagination run wild because if I let my imagination run wild, you don't know all the things that I'm going to think of. What kind of, what, aren't you a new creature in Christ Jesus? Right? Hasn't your mind been renewed? Hasn't your imagination been transformed? Because God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. It's the better translation. Right? And so let, you, let, let God use that dream part of you, that vision part of you, to birth in you a brand new world. And so when it comes to vision, we understand from prior messages that, that vision comes to us in, in pictures and then is carried out in steps. That what God does is he gives us a picture, an internal picture that is real, that is, that is vibrant, that is, that is, that overtakes us, that leads us, that guides us. An internal picture. And then what he does is he brings that picture to pass 
in steps. There's a process that we go through. And we've looked at four steps so far. The first step that we looked at, for those of you that, that come more than 1.7 times a month, you remember the first, I'm sorry, I should stop saying that. It's just habit at this particular point, okay? Like even last week, like I talked about how church attendance goes down because of spring ahead, and I'm, I guess I'm talking to the choir because you all are here, and how people are a little late, and so on and so forth, in an effort to derail it, but it didn't happen. Anyway, four steps, four steps. The first step is the planting step. And this is where God puts in us the dream that he has for us or the vision that he has for us. God puts it there. Joseph dreamed a dream not by himself, but God put it on the inside of him. And God put it so strongly on the inside of him that even after he had the first dream and people tried to talk him out of it, God gave him a dream the next night and God kicked it up a notch because God was planting in Joseph a picture of what he had for him. And these internal pictures become powerful in our lives because when it's real vision, it sticks with you. When it's real vision, it doesn't leave you, you know, after you kind of ate out of it for a middle. It's, it's always something that is there. And so we looked at the scripture, delight thyself also in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart, plant in you desires. When you're a Christian, you can trust the desires that are in your spirit, not in your flesh, but in your spirit because God plants them there. That was the first step. The second step we looked at was the processing step. And this is where we decide to say yes to God's plan for our life. Where we don't give God consent or permission, but where we give him commitment. Where we say to God, we're not in this partially, but we're in this fully. We're not in this only when it's easy, but we're in this no matter how hard it is. God, we are in this for the long haul. Because our goal in life is not just to experience good things just for us, but our goal in life is to please you. So whatever pleases you, that is the pursuit and the passion of our heart. God, we are committed to this process, the processing step. The third step is the price step. And you remember that? This is where we understand or we come to grips with the cost of vision. That we understand that anything significant doesn't just happen by accident. That there is always a price to the vision that God gives us. That that vision never goes on sale. That you can't get it at the five and dime. That you can't, can't clip coupons to get it. You can't go to Rite Aid right now who's 70% off and and buy Vision right now. I don't know if you know that by the way. They're, they're kind of remodeling so a lot of the stuff in the store is 70% off and so we go there and get some deals and you wind up buying stuff you don't need because it's 70% off. I, anyway, you realize that Vision has a price and that sometimes you have to endure hardship as a good soldier and sometimes you have to pick up your cross and follow him daily but you realize that although there is a price if it's true vision there's power and the power of true vision is to pull you past the price until you get to the prize because one of the things that the enemy tries to do is create such a high price tag on the plan of God that we'll quit before we receive the prize but when it's true vision God orchestrates that true vision with DNA that has power to keep pulling you through until you receive the prize. And so we talked about that. And then last week, we talked about the fourth step, the practice step. And this is where God prepares us, and we might not even know it. This is where we practice for prime time. This is where we realize that that, that there is no prime time without practice. This is where we visit places of preparation. We visit our pits and our pits are places where we, we learn to trust God to get out of the impossible. We, we, lean, we learn to trust God on how to deal with lean seasons. The pits give us the opportunity to practice some of the attributes that are needed in order to stand strong when the purpose of God and the dream of God comes to pass. This is where we learn that God can't 
uh, bless who we dress up to be or pretend to be, but rather who we really are. God only uh, blesses who we practice and prepare to be. You can't put on a costume. You can't put on a a phony face and, and all of a sudden become something that you're not. Becoming is a real thing. You really do have to become. And so we looked at that and we visit our second place in this step Potiphar's house. This is where we learn to manage at somebody else's expense. Where we get training that we need, where we, where we learn some of the essential steps of, of our character being tested in, 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 when nothing is on the line. So that when, when all eyes are on us, we'll be able to stand the character test. Potiphar's house is where we learn loyalty and faithfulness. Potiphar's house is where we, we learn some of the intangible things that we need in order to stand in the position that God has for us. And then lastly, we learn that during this step, the preparation phase, this is where we face the prisons of life. Where we find out the things that have come to keep us bound are actually things that God uses to turn our life around. In prison, we get to practice our gifts when nothing is on the line, so that way our gifts will stand the test when everything is on the line. Prison is the place where we learn how to treat people. Remember, Joseph had to, had to treat the inmates well because he was in charge of the inmates. Because how we treat the people who are low determines how high God will allow us to go. You never know who is your connection to your destiny. I treat everybody with the respect of thinking this person may be a link. I don't enter into a relationship with them for them to do something for me. But I treat everybody knowing that they may be somebody that God wants to use to connect me. And so if I can't treat somebody good on the way up, I might meet them on the way down. And so we learn these intangible things. We learn how to forgive people who may be responsible for the prisons that we are in. Because sometimes people do stuff that cause us to get confined for a season in our life. And we can go down bitter road. But I've learned something about bitter road and better road. They're a choice. That the same things that happen to people when they're on bitter road are the same things that happen to people when they're on better road. The difference is what they choose to focus on. And so when we get into our prisons in life, we learn how to forgive people who may in part be responsible for the prisons that we are living through. Because we understand that unforgiveness doesn't keep them bound. It keeps us bound in the prison that we're currently in and prevents us from going to the palace. That was like the first three or four weeks If you want more on that, go get the tape. But today, I want to talk to you about the fifth step, positioning. This is where we learn that even when we can't see him, he's working. I want you to look with me at the dream of Joseph through Joseph's eyes. By the way, you know there's always perspective, right? And our goal as Christians is to to learn how to see things from God's perspective, Do you know what seeing things from God's perspective is called? It's called wisdom. Matter of fact, the word wisdom is the Greek word Sophia. It means an elevated perspective. In the book of James, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth liberally to all men, and upbraideth or changeth not. What are you asking God for? You're asking God, and that's, by the way, the context of that is when you're going through a trial. Right? It says, count it all joy. When you endure, when you go through different kinds of trials and tests, knowing that the proving of your faith worketh patience. And when patience has, has, has had its perfect work, you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Well, how do you get the right perspective when you're going through a trial? You ask God for wisdom, which is his perspective on the situation. But sometimes it takes us a minute to get our eyes lifted, doesn't it? 
Because we have a tendency to look at eye level. And whenever you look at eye level, you cannot see the prize that is on the other side of your problems. I'm preaching real good this morning. Are y'all with me? And so what wisdom is, is the ability to see from God's perspective. But I want you to look at this from Joseph's perspective for just a minute. If you look at this, God gives him this dream. It's an amazing dream. I mean, everybody and anything is bowing down before him. He's got, like, God gives him this dream. The sun, the moon, and the stars. Like, if I had a dream like that, I'd be like, yes, that's what I'm talking about, God. I knew you were a good God. I mean, isn't it amazing? When, 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 when we get visions of good things, we say God is a good God. But as soon as stuff doesn't go good anymore, all of a sudden we change our opinion about God. And God all of a sudden stopped being good. Because we judge God's goodness based on the circumstances that we experience. But I want you to know that God is good all the time. Every good and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights. In whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God is just good. And that's why I love this story. Because it said, and Joseph was in prison and God was with him. And I love that because it messes with our mindset. By the way, our mindset sometimes needs to be messed up, right? Because we have messed up mindsets, and the only way you get rid of messed up mindsets is if your messed up mindsets are messed up so that you can get a new paradigm and think the way that God wants you to think. And so I love this story because Joseph is probably thinking, God, this is amazing. I mean, think we would be thinking that. Imagine if you have this dream, you knew it was from God. That you were going to be powerful and prominent and everybody was going to pay homage to you. And so Joseph has got this dream and, you know, he's feeling good about himself. And, and so his father says, go out into the field and check on your brothers. And so he's wearing his coat and, you know, he's walking proud and he's walking strong. And maybe he's got a little bit too much bounce in his step. You know, it's good to have bounce in your step, but too much bounce, it kind of looks a little bit weird. You know, it looks, it looks like you don't really know who you are, trying to be something that you're not. Anyway, maybe he's got a little too much bounce in his step. And maybe as he's going towards his brothers, he's thinking to himself, this is going to be the day. This is going to be the day, man. It's out in the field. It's just me and my brothers. Maybe they're a little embarrassed to bow down before me in front of everybody. And so maybe right now when we're kind of all private, this is, God, I know this is going to be the day they're going to bow down before me, Right? All of a sudden he gets there and they strip him of his coat, uh, coat, they give him a beat and he's bloodied. He's thrown into a pit. In the pit there is no water. He's all by himself and he's probably looking or thinking in that pit, God, this ain't the dream. God, this is not what I had in mind. God, how? Why? And God, where are you? Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you couldn't see God? God, this is not what you promised. God, this is not what you said. I can't see you, God. But even when you can't see him, he's working. And so he's, the way I pictured it, he's kind of throwing a little pity party in the pit. Get it? Pity party in the pit. That's pretty funny right there. Anyway, he's throwing this little pity party in, in the pit. And as he's there, you know, he's probably doing a little bit of complaining because he's human just like the rest of us. And you know what he probably thinks? Because all of a sudden somebody comes to pull him out of the pit. He probably thinks God heard my complaining. You know, it's funny because we think that that's how God rescues us by complaining. And we think if we could just cry hard enough and pity party hard enough that all of a sudden God will have, you know, pity on us in our pity party and pull us out of our pit. But the fact of the matter is, it's not pity that moves God, it's faith that moves God. And so I can just picture, you know, Joseph, you know, he's complaining all of a sudden. You know, these people come to pull him out, and he sees it's his brothers, and he's probably thinking, all right, God, 
I'll give you a pass on that one. I guess they reconsidered. God, I guess you have really convinced them, God. And I guess they pulled me out of this pit. They probably set my coat off to be dry cleaned. And they're going to just, you know, bandage up my wounds and tell me how sorry they are. And bow down before me when they take me out of the pit. Except that's not what happens. What happens is he, he winds up being sold to a gypsy wagon that takes him to Egypt. And he's on the back of the gypsy wagon. And he's probably chained and, and, and he's probably confined. And he's probably thinking, God, you said people would serve me. You said people would bow down before me. And now I've been sold into slavery. God, how? Why? Where are you? I can't see you. But even when you can't see him, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. And so finally, he, he gets to Egypt, and, and uh, he doesn't know why he's in Egypt. He, he has no clue. Yeah, the, the full plan of God is not really registering. Isn't it, isn't it funny how for us the penny doesn't drop? A lot of times until we're on the other side of the thing. And so finally he gets sold by, to a man by the name of Potiphar. And he gets sold to this man by the name of Potiphar, and you know the story. And now Joseph gets a position. He, he gets, he gets a good position. He probably has a, a distinguished uniform because he is in charge of the whole estate. And so one coat has been taken from him and he now has a new coat that's been put on him. And now, you know, Potiphar's not around a lot. And so Joseph is, is now commanding people and he's running things and he's, he's in charge and he's making decisions. And from Joseph's point of view, life is now good because he's got a good job and he's got a good paycheck and he's, he's living good and he's driving good and he's eating good and he's looking good. And and so life is good, and this chariot has a bumper sticker on it that says exactly that. Life is good. And he thinks, all right, God, I don't quite understand, you know, pit. I don't quite understand gypsy wagon. But, God, I'm feeling you on Potiphar's house. This is a pretty good place because now, you know, I, I got my bills, and, you know, and, and this is wonderful, and everything is paid, and, and, I, and, and everything is the way I want it. I, this is what I'm talking about right here, God. And what's interesting is how you and I think that we have arrived at the ultimate place because stuff is good. And, and what happens, there, there is a fear of just experiencing good. The fear of experiencing good is it stops you from going after God sometimes. Because oftentimes, let's just face it, we are pretty selfish, self-centered people, aren't we? Come on, let's just, come on, let's just be real. It's just us talking. And like our whole thing is, how's this going to affect me? And so when we finally land to a spot that is good, we really don't care what else God wants because we got it good. And so what happens is he's in good, but God's plan is never just good. I believe God's plan is better than good. I believe God's plan is great. And sometimes we don't ever experience great because we settle for good and camp out on good and we start living by the circumstances instead of by the spirit. And so when we get to a particular place that is good, we have this tendency to just, just cruise through life because we finally got it good when God is saying, no, 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 no. I got even better for you. And so he's in this place in Potiphar's house, but then Mrs. P pounces. She says, let's kick it. Joe says, I ain't with it. She screams, he scrams, she lies, he fries, and he finds himself in prison. And now he's in prison. 
And he's in prison. And once again, God, uh, I thought we were here. Potiphar's house, we, we, were, we were on the same page. God, um, what I was experiencing in Potiphar's house felt to me like the dream that you and I had talked about. Isn't it amazing how we're always trying to get God on the same page as us? Come on. Let's just be real. This is, this is, our, this is our groove. This is our, this is our hustle. We're trying to get God on the same page as us. Meanwhile, God is trying to get us on the same page as him, right? And so, God, I'm in prison now. God, God, this is a step backward for me. Have you ever felt like you took a step backward? God, God, I was here, and I like this, and I can live like this, but God, now I'm here. And God, I don't understand. And God, I don't know why. And God, I don't know how. And God, I can't see you. But even when you can't see him, he's working. Because there are two perspectives. There are our perspective. And there's heaven's perspective. And our job is to begin to lift up our eyes and look from heaven's perspective. And so can I share with you the story from heaven's perspective? God assesses a problem that is on the way. The problem that was on the way is a famine was coming to the land where his people lived. And the famine was coming to the land. And the reason why the famine was coming to the land, and let's just call this position number one. You're like, finally the carpet squares. I get it. (laughs) Problem place. Famine coming to this land. What lives in this land? The promise lives in this land. Say, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, God promised that the Messiah would come through Abraham, and now we were on Jacob. So now this was not Abraham's son, but Abraham's grandson, who was now responsible to carry on the promise that God gave to Abraham, which is that through Abraham, all nations of the world would be blessed What did that mean? It meant that the Messiah was going to come through the messy life and lineage of Abraham. The Messiah was going to come through somebody who messed around with Hagar. The Messiah was going to come through somebody who stole his birthright. Aren't you glad that God delivers promises to imperfect places? I'm glad about that because if God did it, we'd all be disqualified like in a heartbeat. But I'm glad that God says, you know what? You tried to mess it up, but don't worry. I got you covered anyway. So Abraham, Isaac, and And so over here we find the problem and the promise. The promise is coming from here, but there's a problem over here. And that's famine is coming to this place to starve the seed that is the promise. And so God assesses the problem that they don't even know is going to happen. And then what God does is God then visits the future place of the promise. He visits Pharaoh's palace. And he looks at Pharaoh's palace and he says, famine there, Pharaoh here. Problem there, I'm going to put answer to problem or promise over here. And the promise over here is going to be that I'm going to put food 
for the whole world over here. Now, why did God pick Pharaoh to be the place that he put food instead of his people to be the place that he put food? Because over here, we had to feed the whole world. And over there, there was not a structure to feed the whole world. But over here, there was a structure in place to feed the whole world. Because you cannot have everything God wants you to have unless you have a structure in place to handle it. Because what happens if God gives you something that is too much for you to handle, it's a waste of an investment for God. And so the reason why some people never soar is because they don't know how to put a structure in place in order to allow them to handle the success that God wants to give them. And I could preach a whole message on that. And so God sees a structure over here, and he says, I can put food for worldwide distribution over here because they have a structure. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this problem. I'm going to walk into the future. I'm going to solve the problem. Watch this. By using Israel's enemy to bless them. It's amazing how God will use even the things that the world has. To be a blessing to his people. And so what God does is God, God visits the future. Can I just tell you, God, God is timeless. You know that, right? So what that means is that he doesn't see things happening in linear progression. God, God is timeless, so he's already been in your future. And then after God has been in your future, what he does, and this is, should excite some of you, is God, after he puts a promise in your future, he walks back to the place of the problem. And then you know what God begins to do from there? God begins to lead you and position you to go from problem to promise. And and the way God does it is he creates these unusual places along your path, like first position, pit. And you get into the pit And you're wondering, God, I don't understand. How is this in any way got me closer to the promise? Because in this pit, I can't see you. And what I love about God is he uses even the things that the enemy sends into our lives as a stepping stone to get us closer to the promise. And even though from Joseph's point of view, he is being taken against his will. From God's point of view, he is being carried to the promise. And so position number one is is this thing called the pit, but it's a stepping stone on the path. And then he creates position number two. And position number two is Potiphar's house, not just anybody's house, but Potiphar's house. And the reason why it's Potiphar's house is because Potiphar is connected to the palace. Potiphar will give Joseph a glimpse of how to operate in the palace. Potiphar is part of the government. Potiphar knows Pharaoh. And so Joseph is not just put in a rich estate. He's put in a specific rich estate and he doesn't realize he thinks it's just for his good but God said no it's not just for your good it is for the ultimate goal but it doesn't look like what God promised and then what I love about God is the next position looks like watch this watch this watch this let me do it like this it looks like a step backward but it's a step closer. And in here, 
He's positioned. Because in here, not just any prison. He's put in the king's prison. Because if he was put in any prison, it wouldn't have worked. But the king's prison, because in the king's prison, there was the king's servants, the butler and the baker. And it was the butler who would ultimately remind Pharaoh or tell Pharaoh about Joseph so that Joseph could take a step into the palace. And here's what I want you to see is there is this path that is created. There's this amazing path that is created where God first goes to the house of Jacob and he looks and he says, who can I pick from this house to send it to the future to interpret a dream for Pharaoh so that he will win Pharaoh's favor so that Pharaoh could put him in charge of the food. And what God, who God picks is not somebody who makes any sense. He picks Joseph, who's not the eldest, but the youngest. And he picks somebody who it looks like God is not working. How does this man get chosen? He's the youngest, but God picks somebody who doesn't look like God is doing anything. And God picks a path. It doesn't even look like his people know that he's working. And God picks a path where the enemy doesn't know that he's working. And God picks a path where nobody would suspect that he's working. And nobody thinks, because can I tell you what God does when you think God has gone silent? God goes stealth mode. God goes under the radar so nobody knows what he's up to. But before you know it, what God has really done is God has created a path. He has got you from the problem. You thought you were being taken, but you were being carried. And you were going one step. God was positioning you. And here's the reason why. Because God is a way maker. He is a miracle worker. He is a light in the darkness. And even when you can't see him, God 